Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by my co-host Matt Fortuna. And uh, Matt, today we have a guest that, um, as I said, and as I introduced him, doesn't really need an introduction. A uh, bit, of, frankly, a bit of a soundtrack for how I grew up loving football. Uh, I'm guessing it's probably a similar story for you and Brent Musburger. I think that um, not only is he a great guy to go down memory lane with, but he was at the game last weekend, which was a pretty cool thing to talk about as well. Yeah, what would have been a fun guy to hang with, especially in the desert, uh, just knowing what he's got going on there with Beeson and yeah, I used to be the the Raiders radio play by play by play voice. But yeah, just that voice. He's one of those uh few remaining iconic voices who to, to your point doesn't need introduction. Like you hear him and you immediately know it's a it's a big gamer, in this case a big podcast. Um yeah, I think I, I didn't get a chance to ask him about the last Notre Dame game he called, which I believe featured Eminem in the in the booth with him, that exact same thing but we got to plenty of good stuff and i think our listeners will enjoy it all right well without further ado let's get to brent musburger joining the shamrock joined by a special guest today on the shamrock somebody who needs no introduction but i will uh give him one anyway um he's kind of the voice of college football for a generation of Notre Dame fans and for somebody like me who grew up in michigan in the 80s um nfl today was where i was introduced to brent musburger and sort of drew me into the uh the idea of sports media as a profession so very pleased to uh be joined by brent musburger from visa in las vegas today on the shamrock brent uh, first thanks for making some time and i was curious what you thought of the game on saturday night when notre dame came out your way well first of all it was a, an incredible crowd uh we had over sixty-four thousand in allegiance stadium and i've obviously have seen all the raider games called them on radio and everything here at allegiant and uh this crowd was noisier than Raider crowds. Now, the BYU people occupied one end zone, of course, the student body, an easy trip down from Provo. But Notre Dame fans came from all around the country. And the green uh, scattered about, and it was such a great evening. I took a Notre Dame uh, alum, Mike Palm, who also works at Beeson with me, never been to a legion. And it was a, it was a special, special night. It was a good game. Notre Dame was clearly the better team. And uh, I saw a tight end, and I'm going to recommend that <laughs> any NFL team, Michael Bear, uh, he was he was a force all night long. And watching Travis Kelsey last night on television uh, against the Raiders for the Chiefs with those four touchdowns, I'm thinking to myself, NFL teams do not pass up Mayer if you don't have a tight end. <laughs> Brett, how much of the Irish have you gotten to watch from a distance this season? What's just kind of your overall take on the program, especially as they transition to the Marcus Freeman era? Well, this was the first game that I've really watched every play carefully. 
Uh, I was aware of the struggles uh, early in this season. I caught part of the o- the Ohio State game. Uh, obviously, the new coach uh, breaking in his system and some new assistants, and you have to give him time to go out and recruit. Uh, Irish were probably overrated when the season began. I noticed that they were number five in the polls, and now they're underrated. Uh, they belong in the top 25. They uh, demonstrated that to me on uh, on Saturday night. It was a good-looking football team. Quarterback threw the ball well. They had some speed that could get to the edges with the running backs. And, of course, Mayer is a, is a force uh, as a tight end. And uh, this week, I just noticed, I just checked the VCN odds board, and uh, the Irish are a 17-point favorite at home uh, against Stanford. Now, Stanford's not very good this year, and uh, the Irish should be able to take care of business. Uh, the over-under in that game, I think, is up into the low 50s. I think it was 53 the last time I checked. So so we shall see. Uh, it's always that way with Notre Dame. Going to school uh, at Northwestern, of course, when Eric Parsegan was the Wildcat coach, and uh, he beat Notre Dame every year that I was uh, that I was up at Northwestern. And so the Irish came and wisely scooped him away. <laughs> and he became the legend <laughs> at South Bend. So I, I love the Notre Dame program. Uh, I was probably the only journalist at the time I was writing for the Chicago's American. I'm probably the only journalist in the country who defended era uh, in the 10-10 tie against <laughs> Michigan State. And if you go back and look at that game on the last series, era had a backup quarterback, backup center, and Duffy Doherty, the Michigan State coach, took Bubba Smith, who became a legend in the NFL. He moved Bubba over to the nose. Era threw the ball long on the first couple of downs, but he realized he was going to get his quarterback killed uh, if he didn't run the ball at the end of the game. And, of course, um, the Irish wound up number one. And it was Dan Jenkins who actually turned the fire on Era in front of the elevator when we were headed down for the interviews. But I thought Era did exactly what he should do in that situation. So I, I go way back with the Irish. Right? Yeah. It's, uh, I, I think there's probably a, a, the bulk of our listeners who sort of grew up on Notre Dame football listening to you call it, whether that be the 88 game against Miami or the 2012 season <laughs> with Oklahoma and the Alabama games. Like, I, I hesitate to ask, like, if you have a most memorable game you would call, because I think 88 would be pretty obvious. Um, but, like, what what games have stood out most to you in terms of your experiences being around Notre Dame and calling Notre Dame games? So, obviously, it was the 88 Miami yeah. game. It still brings back memories. When, uh, when I was walking into the stadium early, a young man, young student came up, and he had a T-shirt in his hand. And he handed it to me. He said, we'd like you to have this. And uh, so I looked at the front of it and it said, Catholics versus convicts. <laughs> and I just started laughing as I took it up in the elevator. And I've still got it in one of my uh, storage boxes up in Montana. But then that became a great, great football game. And Jimmy Johnson still hasn't forgiven us um, up in the booth. Uh, he thought that we were very pro Notre Dame. He thought he had the first down. Uh, going in down the end zone against Lou Holtz as Irish, it was a it was a great great football team, and a lot of a lot of guys in that game went on to the National Football League. But I'll but I'll never forget it. The crowd and the setting and the beauty and um, and we had to redo the opening. We had taped an opening 
and I got a call from the truck before the game. And they said, Brent, you got, you got to, you got to do it live." I said, "Why? What are you talking about?" He said, "They had a fist fight in the tunnel. They had a fist fight the two teams, <laughs> and uh, they changed the uh, protocol for coming out of the tunnel in South Bend uh, after that game. So there were there were many, many mem- memories from uh, from that '88 showdown." How different is it for you right now, Brent, just just viewing and consuming college football? I'm sure there's a part of you that, that misses, obviously, calling the big game every Saturday, but it, it sounds like a pretty sweet gig you've got going for yourself right now. Can you just kind of compare and contrast the two? Uh, yeah, you know, obviously I miss the enthusiasm of the crowds. I, people ask me what's the difference between college and, and the NFL, and I said, well, the crowds are the biggest difference, I said, and the bands. I said, it's a you know, it's a happening. You go around the country. People ask me, what's your favorite stadium? I said, you know, I, I, I don't have one. There's so many good ones around the country. Obviously, South Bend would be on the list. But I said, there's sleepers like Clemson or you go down to the Grove at Ole Miss. So I miss that kind of energy. But when it comes to performance of the athletes on the field, uh, it's a different it's a different time zone between the NFL and college. I mean, the college kids who are touted, I mean, talking about mayor of the tight end, they have no idea how, how much higher the skill level is, especially the speed in the secondary. I, mean, I once asked John Elway, I said, John, what, what's the biggest difference? He had gone to the Broncos and was playing very well. He said, Flint, the field in the NFL is so much smaller. Obviously, that's the speed of the athletes who are out there and, and, and the performance. So they both, you know, I... The four-team playoff kind of turns me off in college football simply because it's the same old, same old. I I love the fact that Cincinnati uh, got in. I've always loved the college basketball tournament because the little guys have a chance. Now, I don't think the little guys are going to be beating the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Ohio States anytime soon. But it's nice to see them have a chance. And uh, so I I look forward to the the expanded playoff. I was interested, like, as somebody who's seen different iterations of college football and how it figures out its national champion, which has been like, it was very fairly convoluted early on. And, you know, now, it, like you said, it's a little bit samey, um, you know, with the same guys every now and like, what, did, what's sort of your feeling on the, sort of the state of the sport? Um, Cause I think a lot of people have expressed concerns, whether it be the portal or the postseason or NIL, and yet you go to the game on Saturday night, it's sold out, it's loud, it's raucous, like the environment is amazing. So how, how do you sort of view where college football is as, as a sport right now? I honestly like the portal. Uh, if, if youngsters um, don't think they're getting a chance or there's too much depth, I mean, every place I look, there's some Alabama players who have transferred elsewhere because they want more playing time. And all you have to look at is Jalen Hurts with the Philadelphia Eagles, who was once the Alabama starting quarterback and then, then went to Oklahoma. However, what I am uneasy about is the payments to the players by the merchants in these various, I'm very, very uneasy about that. Um, I don't know that any good is going to come out of that because I think the rich are going to get richer. Um, but, but we will see. And, and maybe I will be proven completely wrong. But the portal, I always, you know, I check the list 
to see which kids are are going elsewhere. Maybe they're not getting along with the coaching staff or or, or whatever. So I've I've never been against that to tell you the truth, uh, because sometimes those schools. When you go back to the era of Bear Bryant down in Alabama, he stockpiled guys mm-hmm. down there. I mean, there were three, four deep of guys that could play elsewhere. But the local car dealer contributing millions and things like that. I mean, I saw. Uh, I saw Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, uh, show up on a Dr. Pepper commercial, and it was jarring for me to <laughs> see him sitting on that couch in the middle of that commercial. We'll see. We'll see how it works out. Brent, Notre Dame has a big game in a couple weeks against Clemson. I, I think Clemson fans still refer to you uh, calling their intro the 25 most exciting seconds in college football. I'm curious, what are some of the more memorable calls and some of the ones you you personally truly identify with with certain schools? Well, with Clemson, obviously, it's the start of the game. They, they load the players in the buses uh, from the locker room and they drive around the stadium and then they pour down the hill and they touch the rock uh, as they come onto the field. Uh, that's as exciting as it gets. And, you know, to tell you the truth, uh, here on Saturday night, um, the Notre Dame marching band coming out and, and playing the fight song and seeing the thousands of Irish fans on their feet singing, singing to the sound of that, that marching band down there it brought back a, a lot of great memories. There's, uh, there's so many things that go on in the stadiums, Ohio State, Michigan games through the years, uh, even as a writer. Cover, you know, Woody and Bo going at it back in the day. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, when they get together at the uh, at the fair there in Dallas, that's always a, a great showdown at the old Cotton Bowl. Although I'll tell you what, Texas put a hurting on them here this uh, this last weekend. I I think for my buddy Brent Venables, uh, I think he's probably under a little heat there in uh, Norman after after that performance. So, uh, so we shall see. But you go on and on about the great moments and the great things that you've seen around college football. Uh, Coach Kelly, who I know very well, now down at LSU, having left Notre Dame, I still tease him that when he got blown out by Alabama in that national championship game, I took all the heat off him because I called a, a beauty queen beautiful, and it, I, I was the villain that, that night in the eyes of many, especially the woke journalists uh, in some of the papers around the country. And I say, Coach, you'd have been under the gun if it wasn't for me, and he laughs at me. He's a, he's a good old politician, and we'll see what he does. He would like to come to the Vegas Bowl, interestingly enough, because he knows – the Bishop Gorman coaching staff. Bishop Gorman, of course, is is one of the great high school programs in the in the country, and there's always, always upwards of you know a dozen prospects that colleges are looking to sign to go forward. So we shall see. Yeah, it's good good to be associated with the Fertitas, I think, uh, in any way possible around Bishop Gorman. I know Notre Notre yes. Dame was, and uh, I think Brian Kelly still is at LSU. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You mentioned the 2012 season and, and I, I remember the Oklahoma game and you calling it and distinctly as I think as Theo Riddick scored, maybe the clinching touchdown, you said very emphatically, um, that Notre Dame is relevant again at, or something to the effect of it's time to stop asking the question, is Notre Dame relevant? Which as somebody who covers Notre Dame today, every day, I just want to say I appreciate that because that I can't think of a more uh, tedious discussion than Notre Dame and relevance. But um, what, what do you remember about that game? Because that really was, I think one of the peak moments of, of Brian Kelly's 12 years here and something that I think a lot of Notre Dame fans really remember fondly to this day. Yeah. You know, I had been around, I actually knew coach Kelly from his days at Cincinnati okay. uh, before he went to South Bend. Okay. And when Lou Holtz was there, I mean, Notre Dame was dominant and he had convinced the good fathers that we're going to, we're going to take some chances on some kids. And the one thing that I always admired about Notre Dame, I've learned as a writer is when you're a freshman there, you don't have to be a football player, but one of the good fathers is assigned to see how you're doing. And the Notre Dame back in my day had more freshmen become sophomores than any school in the country. And I was always impressed with that. And uh, I talked to Coach Parsegan about it uh, when he was around. And then Lou Holt said, we're going to take some chances. And uh, most of them, most of them worked out and they got a good education. I've always, I've always admired that about Notre Dame. Of course, coming out of the Chicago area, I was around a huge, huge Catholic community. So, uh, Notre Dame was always number one in the, uh, in the hearts and minds of the Chicagoans. And uh, I, too, became, you know, I grew tired of listening about whether or not they were relevant or not all these other years. And, and I knew that Kelly was going to put the program back on the road, which he certainly did. And it's a great fan base. And um, and people who do love college football, if they get a chance, obviously should go to South Bend and uh, and see a game because just the, the whole environment and the atmosphere and that leprechaun bouncing around in the end zone. I, I knew I knew a couple of those guys back in the day, <laughs> and I was always amused by that. I, I always had a great time. They always they always took good care of. Us. Of course, Lindsey Nelson and Paul Horning back in my writing days. Uh, it was always tape delay. Uh, people don't, you know, people today are spoiled because you can see any game in every Notre Dame game. Back in the day, there was only one game up on a Saturday afternoon, and uh, the Notre Dame game was shown on tape delay the following Sunday before the NFL got going. And uh, it, it's interesting now because um, the the public's so much more knowledgeable, gets to see all the games. And uh, to me, Notre Dame is always relevant. I, I don't even think it's a discussion now. And uh, and it, it's good to see them in the mix. And uh, they'll make a, they'll make a bowl game. Obviously, uh, this group this year they'll be headed off to a bowl. So we'll see what happens. Brent, you obviously have a, a new Sunday NFL pregame show, Brent Musburger's Countdown to Kickoff. But I'd be remiss not to ask you uh, to prognosticate a little bit, given where you are with the college season. When you look ahead, when you look at the halfway point 
of the college season now. It seems like there are four or five teams that have really separated themselves so far. But as, as you know, as we know, we all know nothing. What, what do you see playing out as far as maybe a, a future pick you really like for a champion or a future for, for the Heisman? Well, Bryce Young would have been my pick. However, uh, I just checked to see what Coach Staben was saying about the Tennessee game this week, and it still sounds like he's pretty questionable. So he's missed a lot of time, uh, and I am still a Heisman voter, and that probably will influence me a little bit. So I will I will look to Mr. Stroud, the quarterback at Ohio State. I. I think the Buckeyes have a chance. I don't know if they can beat Georgia and Alabama, uh, but they might be able to get by, let's say, Alabama in a semifinal game if it comes to that. So those, those three teams have my eye as far as the national championship is concerned. And I I think that fourth spot is is a little bit up in the air. I, I keep an eye on what's going on at USC. Uh, speaking of schools with a transfer portal, um, USC, if, if USC stays unbeaten, okay, and uh, I'm sure Irish fans don't like <laughs> hearing that, but if they were to stay unbeaten, I'm not so sure that the committee wouldn't include them um, in a Final Four. But uh, but we shall see. But right now, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama, in that order, I think have separated a little bit from the pack. And we'll we'll see how the rest of the season unfolds. Well, Brent, we'll wrap up on this. Uh, you mentioned sort of sports fans being spoiled today, and I, I definitely felt that when I went up to Circus Sports on Friday night, sat in on uh, Tim Murray's show, <laughs> and saw both Stadium Swim and uh, the sports book downstairs. It's qu- it's quite a setup. I was interested, like what? A, I mean, you've you've always sort of had an eye on you know the our friends in the desert and that's much so much more mainstream now, but like what, what attracted you to make the move out there and just sort of put, throw yourself into viewing sports and consuming sports from a different, through a different lens. Well, you know, I'd always been interested, even as a writer uh, late in the year, uh, the um, Chicago American would assign me, to the West Coast baseball races because the Dodgers with Koufax and Drysdale and that bunch were so good and they always had a big series. But I always took an extra day and stopped off in Vegas. I was always fascinated by uh, by the city and of course a lot of the a lot of the lads from Chicago, if you know how what I mean, <laughs> they had they had helped start the gambling community out here. So I had, I would have had some acquaintances in Las Vegas and came out and then. Very early on, I met Jimmy the Greek. I didn't know anything about sports betting. I knew there was a lot of betting on baseball at the time. And so he introduced me to bookmakers around town. And I saw, and then when I went to the NFL today, it became apparent to me that one of the driving forces behind the growth of the NFL was actually betting on the games. Now, I did, not all point spreads, but there were office pools galore in which people picked winners. Uh, they just liked uh, the action on a Sunday. And so I said, oh, this is bigger than the league wants to admit. And if you go back to the founding of the National Football League, there were, there were gamblers galore who helped start it. Uh, Mr. Rooney, of course, got his stake in uh, betting on horse racing. And uh, you can go on around the league and, and find various people. So I, so I became very interested in it. And then as to why I'm looking out here now, my nephew would not take no for an answer. <laughs> um, ESPN was 
was very gracious. I had a longer term contract with them and they, they agreed to let me out of it, uh, to come out here. So, um, and it's closer. My grandchildren live up in Montana and it's uh, just a two hour flight. Uh, thank you, Legion Airlines for the nonstop to Missoula, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I could go up there and spend time with them. And I've got a, I've got a, 12 year old right now is playing his first tackle football. I get a big kick out of going and watching the practices during the week and seeing, seeing the youngsters involved in it. So, so it was always, and I think if you look around for sure, if you just check ESPN out, uh, it's unbelievable how much gambling information is up there. I mean, they used to, they used to take me to the woodshed every time I would mention an over under number or uh, I Oh, you can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, really? Well, take a look at what's going on now. Uh, the world has changed. However, I must say, and I, and I say, if there are any youngsters listening to me, listen carefully because you're not going to beat it long term. I only know, I only know a handful of gamblers who've ever made a great success out of betting on sports. And another, another piece of advice, get away from those parlays and bet individual games and individual totals okay uh these casinos aren't any smaller here uh simply because people don't come in there and win 16 and 17 parlays you're going to see one or two every year because they like to get that publicity out there but i will hear i'm here to tell you from experience folks don't do it Well, we love to sign off on that note, giving gambling advice to the youngsters listening to the Shamrock. But Brent Musburger, really appreciate you joining us. Hope you enjoy yourself out there and enjoy the rest of the season. Thanks a lot. And go Irish. Take care, lads. Thanks, Brent. Matt, I thought that was an awesome interview. One thing I wanted to slip in there, only to further blow Brent's mind about uh, gambling in college football today, was there was a post-game video from Notre Dame-BYU where Marcus Freeman turns to the chaplain, (laughs) Nate Wills, and says, what do they always say here? And Father Nate says, the house always wins, which is just like the fact that a priest is talking about a gambling gambling (laughs) turns a phrase, which is like, wow, this 2022, we're living in some weird times. But I... What what was your favorite part of the interview? I felt like there were a bunch of highlights. Lots to get to. He slipped the Catherine Webb stuff in there. Oh, like, what I, a I pro. Want, I didn't want to bring it up, but I think the context in which he slipped it in there is even funnier. Like, it, 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 you know, I think the listeners will really like it because it, it's in the context of like, you're welcome, Brian Kelly. The only reason you didn't get killed more for your performance that night <laughs> because I got killed for my performance that night. So uh, that, that was a classic Brent Mossberger. Yeah, that was really good. It's um, yeah, I enjoyed sort of his outlook on, you know, the portal and NIL and just sort of like the future of college football because it's like he, if anyone would have a reason to sort of be romantic about the what college football used to be, it would be him. Um, and I took his sort of commentary as much more um pragmatic about this is sort of where the sport is um doesn't mean like everything needs to change uh at the rate it's changing but it's not also a it was all better back when i was calling these games as well um which you know i feel like a lot of people can kind of fall into that trap when they've sort of lived a more romantic version of college football than what we're covering today yeah no doubt about it and even him just kind of take us down memory lane with his friends from chicago and how he uh how he really (laughs) kind of scratch the public surface of, of, of that gambling itch that again was a third rail topic till 
what three four years ago until it got legalized everywhere um in the united states it, it was uh it was fun he, he was i had great expectations for him because he's brent musburger but i think he went deeper and in more depth with Notre Dame and college football and gambling at large than, than I, I thought he would have come into it because I, I don't have any personal issues with him. I don't know if you do, but no, he doesn't mean from Adam. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, and I think I mentioned this in the interview, like he is one of the reasons that I wanted to get into sports media in the first place. Like, I remember watching NFL today and then watching NFL games and thinking how cool that job was. And then turning down the volume on my TV and calling another 30-point Detroit Lions loss or writing about it because that's sort of what you did in Michigan if you were a kid in the 80s. Um, so, yeah, it was it was great because it was – I feel like there was not just nostalgia in there but some updated takes as well. And, like, obviously sharp with Michael Mayer and, you know, VEASAN and what's going on in, the, in that space as well. So, and, hey, look, he got into Stanford this weekend where Notre Dame is a – Opened as a 17 point favorite. Um, I'm partial to the opening lines at Circa because they're a friend of the show, uh, uh, if they can be. Um, and so, <laughs> what uh, I, I was just sort of after we were both at North Carolina, we were both in Vegas. Um, I was at Cal. You were I wasn't at Marshall. No, I was at Cal. I wasn't at Carolina. Oh, for some reason, I thought you were at Marshall. Um, yeah, you did come to Cal. Uh, and we we're both at Ohio State. So, We've seen Notre Dame up close a lot, um, and I get the sense that Notre Dame has a little bit more of a repeatable identity now. I don't know if you feel the same way, but like my expectations for Saturday is like that Notre Dame should and will cover, um, but Notre Dame has a ways to go to sort of fully regain the benefit of the doubt that they had down cold under Brian Kelly in terms of beating teams that they're better than. Look at you, Pete. One weekend in Vegas, and you're already referencing your guys in the in the desert. Um, yes, I think I said this to you when we were exiting the press box Saturday night, and we saw Stanford was winning against Oregon State. And you know, I went back to my room and watched that incredible finish. Miles, no, Boykin, what, what you said was we're going to Mandalay Bay. Yeah, <laughs> speak for yourself. I went home. Uh, one night was was one night too many for me there on Friday, but the uh, it had Miles Boykin Citrus Bowl vibes. Not as nice of a catch. It wasn't one handed, but Oregon State I felt the same way. Stealing that one out of thin air. Stanford lately has been like a team that plays maybe one really good game a year, and I thought that was that game for them this past. I think Saturday. it was that game for them, and and they lost it. Right, that's uh, a problem. That that is a problem if you're Stanford. Now they played two of them last year. They'd upset Oregon at home, and they got Clay Heldon fired in week two by absolutely destroying a very bad USC team on the road last year. But uh, this is just not the Stanford of our our older brothers, uh, for, for lack of a better analogy. Like this is, you know, it's, we we've said in multiple group texts, what's more surprising, how good they were able to get in that early part of this decade or last decade. Um, versus how quickly they fell to really the bottom of the barrel. I mean, they're 11th in total defense right now in the Pac-12, 10th in rushing defense. Have not looked all that inspiring this season outside of a, you know, a, a, an inspired offensive effort against USC in Week 2 this year. I think it's going to be a tough go for, for the Cardinal really from here on out. I mean, you look at that schedule, you know, at Notre Dame this week, they still got to play BYU in their finale. They still got to go to U- UCLA and Utah. Um, you know, it's... It's looking rough for David Shaw in that group right now. And I don't, you know, is there a path to covering? Sure. I, I don't know if there's much of a path to victory for Stanford heading into Saturday night, short of Notre Dame completely overlooking them, which I don't think you do when, when UNLV is who you got on deck.
I don't know. I feel like Notre Dame is sort of addicted to the way they're playing right now. Like mm-hmm. now they kind of have a taste of like, all right, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what it takes to keep having it look this way. And we'll continue like that in terms of their practice and their prep. I mean, Stanford, one of the worst rush defenses of the country in terms of yards per carry allowed and dead last in the country and turnover margin. There's only one other team who has forced only two turnovers and it's Notre Dame and Sanford there at the bottom. Um, but Notre Dame protects so, so the, the ball. Safety, Stanford does not. The safety does not count as a turnover. Safety does not count as a turnover, I don't think. Um, based, well, based on what I'm looking like, at right now. The, yeah, uh, the interception. Yeah, they had the fumble the recovery at North Carolina and the interception. Notre Dame has had two turnovers forced. Stanford has two picks. And I just... There are a lot of ways to beat Notre Dame, or at least a few ways, but if you can't stop the run, I don't know how any of that really matters. Um, nor do I understand. Like, I, I realize there's some rivalry talk for Marcus Freeman on Monday, which I think is just something that coaches say sometimes. Uh, Not the last one. <laughs> yeah, this just, this just isn't a rivalry anymore. Um, it used to be great. Now it's just yeah. another game on the schedule if you're Notre Dame. And frankly, if you're Stanford. So I don't, I don't quite get the investment from Stanford um, emotionally or prep-wise coming to this game, especially the way that they lost last week is was pretty brutal. It's hard to just sort of overcome that. And then you fly four and a half hours to the Midwest to play on Saturday night when the low is 41 degrees. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like there's a lot set up other than the fact that they have a really good quarterback and a good receiver core. That's kind of it. They're not good on either line. They don't stop the run. It's hard to beat Notre Dame that way. Yeah, I thought the the reaction shots to the crowd after they blew it Saturday were, were pretty telling. Like, you so know, bad. And, they found like, some people, which I was impressed. No, I, I agree. I, I was also uh, pleasantly surprised to see that. But the, the faces on the students there, it wasn't like, I'm trying to picture if that happened in like a Big Ten or SEC venue and the, the anger and shock and frustration. They all had these like knowing smiles on their face. And they were like, oh yeah, there's there's the team who schooled yeah. together. There was no, they put, did they find they anyone showed doing up. like the, the <laughs> surrender Cobra? Nothing. I mean, there's no move like that. No, it, it was like, a, eh, like, all yeah. right, that's what we thought we were getting. It just showed up in the 59th minute. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a rough go over for them, I mean, it's a shame because yeah, yeah, Brian Kelly always seemed to like not really pump up rivalries, at least when it came to Michigan. Whereas Marcus Freeman's you know taking the opposite approach, at least with a game that's could be a look ahead spot. Uh, but I always thought like you know USC's obviously the main rival in Michigan. There's there's a history there. I thought like in that like 2011 to maybe 2015 16 era, like that was a hell of a rivalry. Like you had oh, two so very good. similar teams i mean we we would hear from the players after like no no we hate those like we're playing ourselves like we hate these guys you know what i mean like obviously usc's a uh, more traditional rival but you know even jack swarbrick who's got degrees from both schools and every year until recently they put out that stat oh we're the only two schools ranked in both the top 25 of the ap poll and top 25 of the of the uh U.S. News and World Report, not the case right now for, for either, although our, our friend Brett Mossberger thinks their name should be ranked, and I'm starting to, to agree with him the more and more I look into things. Um, but yeah, there's definitely been a vibe turn around Notre Dame. I mean, Drew Pine is, is changing the conversation, as you wrote this week. He's playing with a lot more confidence. Um, I mean, it reached the point where, like, 
Marcus Freeman was seriously asked this week, like, do you regret not starting this guy earlier? And, you know, to his credit, he, he held his ground and said, no, this was based on what we saw in practice and what we saw in practice, you know, helps determine Tyler Buckner to be the starter. But the fact that we're even asking that question two games and three weeks after he looked lost at Cal and after this offense looked lost at Cal is pretty telling. And I think it changes the, the kind of calculus for this team moving forward, especially, again, we talk about how North Carolina – uh, really allowed this offense to, to to kind of take out his frustrations while developing his identity by running the ball against them. Um, and they were able to, to kind of build off that a little bit at BYU. I mean, I think I look at Stanford right now, maybe not as poor as I do North Carolina from a defensive standpoint, but 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 they're pretty darn close. And especially in those conditions, I just think Notre Dame's probably going to have a field day as far as just running it up the middle and, and, and playing – dominating the time of possession and really dictating the tempo and pace and identity of this game in a way that, you know, five years ago, that this was a toss up. Yeah. It just, it does make me a little bit, uh, wistful for the days of Owen Marisic and his double touchdowns and the goal line stand and Jim Harbaugh throwing shade on behalf of Brian Pullian in the post game press conference, <laughs> uh, when he was Stanford's special teams coach. So, yeah, it's no, like, let's not let's not forget. Um, bye bye. Remember that one? Oh God, yeah, that's sort of overlooked. The uh, the the very hot moment between a Stanford assistant strength coach and Brian Kelly, um, which I caught down on the field. So that may that this was really this was really a good series. I mean, it was Jimmy Clausen's first win in two thousand seven. There was some animosity between. I think you know some angst there between Weiss and. Harbaugh and then you had Harbaugh and Kelly and like Notre Dame admitting that Stanford was a model that they needed to follow and build uh, early, which I mean, you just don't hear Notre Dame say stuff like that um, or many programs say stuff like that, that they're trying to follow a rival and take a page from their blueprint. But this has uh, gone back to the days of Buddy Tevens, unfortunately, um, for Stanford, but fortunately for Notre Dame. So may maybe this will be the rivalry break that Marcus Freeman needs because... He's getting a USC that Brian Kelly didn't get, but he's also getting a Stanford that Brian Kelly didn't get. Uh, and one of those is breaking Marcus Freeman's way. So should be, I mean, it'd be an interesting game, but I think mostly because it's going to be uh, kind of a confirming bit of evidence about where the season is going for Notre Dame and how they will get to six and two. And I know people talk about Syracuse being undefeated with their great wins over Virginia and Purdue. But I just, I think that Notre Dame will sort of flex a little bit on Saturday night and kind of hammer Stanford and comfortably cover. Syracuse is an interesting one. Cause I got asked yesterday about like their chances of keeping this going. I, I look at their schedule and I'm like, yeah, they could easily lose their next six games and then be BC to go six and six and, and people eligible. I'll be curious to see how Syracuse handles NC state. albeit at home. This weekend, I mean, it's, isn't Devin Leary I, out? NC State starting quarterback is he out? I don't. I mean, I know he got hurt last week. I'm not sure okay. what the prognosis is for this week. Uh, I will say, I mean, the dome's always tricky, no matter how good or bad he is, and, and you can't overlook that part. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just you know, I'm a little wistful myself because Stanford Notre Dame was always kind of a, a fun one to look forward to every year, and um, David Shaw always had a way of like just getting a little too snippy post game in defeat. Whether it was about a phantom whistle in 2014 or the Notre Dame's band, he's, he's always he's a big uh, big critic of Notre Dame's band playing too loudly at inappropriate times in his mind. David Shaw, the, the last guy to coach against Brian Kelly as a Notre Dame head coach. 
True. That is true. Uh, he did not. He did not see that coming. I saw him that weekend in Las Vegas, of course, um, at the uh, College Hall of Fame dinner, and I was like, "Did you see that coming?" He's like, no. <laughs> "Okay, good, good. I didn't either." Um, but how do you see this one playing out, Pete? Do you have a uh, prediction ready? I mean, I think I don't have. Well, I can just spitball a prediction because it's their predictions, and I put too much time into them anyway. So, I mean, Notre Dame forty-two seventeen. Um, I think Notre Dame will play well. I don't think Stanford is going to offer much resistance defensively. And I think that Notre Dame's defense is still good for probably one or two plays where you're just like, what are you doing? Um, And Davis Mills is a legit quarterback. So I think for Notre Dame to just completely shut down Stanford offensively, I think is asking a little bit much the way Notre Dame secondary is put together, particularly if Tariq Bracey is not either not going to play or not going to play at a hundred percent. Um, one of those things is probably going to be true. He's not going to be at uh, a full go. So I think that's good for Stanford. May- maybe not making it competitive, but at least scoring. Um, but I just think that if you can't stop the run game, I don't know how you can hang with Notre Dame. Nope. I agree. And in some ways, this reminds you of 2018. I think that was mm. Ian Book's first home start. And Stanford hadn't yep. fallen off yet. They'd actually just be in Notre Dame a year earlier. And that was a big primetime game. And I was like, yeah, look at the way they played. If Book is this good and if he can run this offense and they can actually run the ball, like they might be able to name their score tonight. And it didn't get that ugly, but they clearly established um, their dominance early on and, and were able to control the game. I'll, I'll go 38 21, which unintentionally I think is a push. I think the back door is your friend if you're Stanford. Um, yeah. Well. I think the key is. McKee's like, a good quarterback. And yeah. Crazy's out. I, I think they'll get some points, uh, but they're not going to stop Notre Dame. That's why I, the backdoor cover with Tanner McKee maybe throwing a touchdown late is is on point there. I, I think that's possible. He seems to be, you know, for some of Stanford's issues, they still have good pro style quarterbacks, um, even if the lines have fallen off and the tight ends have fallen off. Uh, and there's not, uh, you know, Notre Dame's not losing coveted DBs to Stanford anymore um, in recruiting either. They're just like, it just doesn't happen. So it um, it feels like a game where Notre Dame should be comfortably ahead going into the fourth quarter um, and is able to sort of enjoy a, a primetime game. And then I think we both agree Notre Dame will be ranked next week. Then um, Brett Musburger will be proved prophetic. Well, I'll, uh, I'll end this with a prop since you're a uh... A degenerate after two nights or three nights in Vegas, whatever it was. Over under on snaps, Steve Angeli season this game. Ooh. Um, so I'll set the line and then you have to bet it. Um because <laughs> the over uh, let's see. I will set it at eight and a half. Oh, jeez. I'll I'll go under. I was gonna say three. He'll come in for three kneel downs at the end, but I think we will see him. We should see him. Okay. Based on what we think about. Both these teams, eight right, and a yeah. half. Wow, you're really. So this was an easy under bet for you then. Then I, I guess I have to take the over. Maybe I could even tease it down <laughs> to six and a half based on your reaction and get action. So, yeah, we'll, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll see, see Steve Angeli's college debut on Saturday night. It uh, feels like feels like there's a possibility of that. So, and then we will uh, we'll be post game pod, but I will be up at, because it's a home game. We won't be able to sneak into the Notre Dame coaching booth anymore um, to record. But I'll be up in the Notre Dame radio booth on my own. You'll be home uh, in Chicago, and we will Zoom it. So that will be a, a pretty late night 
late night recording and unfortunately not like last week um after i go home i won't be going to the bellagio i'll be going straight to bed i think so not nearly as exciting did you what, what was the the bet again everyone told you to do it was well a green double zero and roulette oh, right. um it did not pay out no matter how many times i bet it it was almost like the odds were against me um i did see i think i saw former notre dame walk on uh cam ekenyake at the table next to me at the bellagio um you and only you, Frankenstein. Yeah. Did not. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. It was only me. Um, I did not. Uh, did not chat with them. I think what one of our listeners slash readers did stop me while I was walking through the Bellagio and be like, "Hey, like your stuff? Can we get a photo?" Sure. Um, so yeah, there's oh, no, wow. there a lot of good Notre Dame energy around that uh, around Vegas last weekend. It was it was a good time. I Shamrock Series needs to return there uh sooner maybe well maybe not sooner the, but the shamrock needs to return to the shamrock series Ooh, yes i vegas. agree i agree maybe we should just go do a live show in vegas or something and see uh see what kind of turnout we can get we have a st- we, have, we can do it at Vison studios yeah we'll do it with brent yeah friend of the show okay on that note we'll uh wrap up our midweek episode of the shamrock matt and i will be back very late saturday night so you'll be listening to it on sunday uh to recap notre dame stanford so until then he's matt i'm pete thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the shamrock Shamrock.